The Chicago Bears beat the Minnesota Vikings 6-16 in a big division game that's going to look better and better as this schedule progresses. I grab EJ Snyder and we break it down in this week's episode of Bear With Me. Hello and welcome everybody to this week's episode of Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. Now, as I'm sure you've seen, we've got a long show for you today as I bring on Windy City Gridiron's lead draft analyst, E.J. Snyder, to help me walk through this game. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's not waste any time. Let's jump on Skype right away to start breaking this thing down. What's up, EJ? I'm so glad to have you on, and thank you for joining me right after this crazy, crazy game. Uh, how you doing today? Oh, I can't wait. It's a Bears win. Uh, interesting game, a lot of fun, and feel great. Uh, anytime you knock off a division rival, uh, home or not, it's it's a big day, so I'm I'm pumped. No kidding. And it's funny because a lot was being made of this game beforehand in uh, both the way that the pregame injuries were shaping up and the narrative was building. As I'm sure you heard on Twitter, uh, plenty of people were citing the statistic that nobody's won their division going 0-2 in their first two division games, which obviously felt like a bit of a skew, but I couldn't help but shake the feeling, maybe you did too, that this game was a must-win game coming off of the backs of two other must-win games that we won. And it it felt weird because it actually did feel like a game that we might maybe bounce back from. But at the same time, if you've beaten two teams that haven't won any games, you lose to the Vikings and then maybe you go beat the Raiders. What are you as a three and two team? But either way, the Bears got the win in a game that, let's be honest, starting from about an hour and a half out from the kickoff, this game was a nightmare. Hicks is inactive. Roquan Smith is inactive. Kyle Long is inactive. Mike Davis is inactive. Taylor Gabriel is inactive. And only three minutes into the game, starting quarterback Mitchell Trubisky goes and gets himself hurt. I mean, could this have started any worse? I don't think so. I think Hicks was a question mark all week. Uh, Bilal Nichols was was ruled out fairly early. Davis, I don't think matters a huge deal. Yeah. Smith was a big surprise, especially going against uh, a back as talented as Dalvin Cook. Smith was a was a chess piece that had me worried. Um, and obviously, Trubisky thing, nobody could have predicted that. But no. if you're missing somebody at almost every level, that's not a great start. And it definitely stacked the, the table in favor of the Vikings, or at least it looked like it did. They were missing some folks as well, so their starting guard. Um, so long, I actually thought his miss might be an upgrade. He's been really hurting and not moving very well. So I thought we'd probably get at least, uh, the same production. Uh, the bears would get the same production from a replacement there. But, uh, the other ones definitely had me worried if, if the Washington injury list was something to worry about the, the Minnesota injury list was, was kind of staggering. And then Trubisky went down. So yeah, an interesting start to the game. Absolutely. And frankly, I think you hit on it really well. So first thing I'll say before we talk about, you know, how the game worked out, I'm very I'm pretty much on your side with long. Heck, there's part of me that wonders, because truth be told, I don't know the inner workings of these these NFL organizations. <laughs> Hard to get behind the curtain sometimes. And I truly don't have any idea whether long has been hurt all season. Maybe that injury was one of those phantom injuries like you see in baseball to get a guy to sit down for a second because you don't want to just bench him flat out if 
the backup comes in and does or does poorly. But either way, moving off of that for a second, I thought that the tale of this game was just how much better the Bears backups came and filled in for those starters than the Vikings backups. And frankly, some of their starters did, too, because Nick Williams played a heck of a game. Nick Kwiatkowski was all over the field. And it was funny because I remember in that first Vikings drive, he got hosed on that uh, shallow crosser that is almost unknown when it comes to watching Nick Kwiatkowski's film. But then for the rest of the game, man, the Vikings just let him come down field and hit. And that is everything he likes to do nowadays between Williams, Kwiatkowski, and obviously Chase Daniel, who led that or who picked up that drive where Trubisky had left it off and scored it to give the Bears the only touchdown of the game for what ended up being the first 55 minutes or so. The Bears backups played as well as you could ask them to. What do you think? Williams looked like a stud in camp. He looked like a vastly improved player, both his body and his movements. He was in great shape. And he's just massive as a guy, but he was incredibly cut and he was moving around guys. He was moving with speed. His feet looked a lot lighter. I thought, wow, there's, there's something there. I hope he ends up sticking on the roster. And he did. And of course they needed him and he played like it today, but this is my open apology to Nick. Um, We got on Kwiatkowski pretty hard uh, in the preseason about his inability to stay with shallow crossing routes and his inability to match up with slot receivers, which is somewhat of a death knell for middle linebackers uh, in the modern NFL. But today he played with aggression against a very talented and very quick offense. He stayed with Dalvin cook. He was a big force in stopping the run early. He tracked guys down almost sideline to sideline. It was sort of more between the numbers, but he still did an incredibly good job. And that piece of pass rush that he put on Dalvin Cook was <laughs> staggering. So this is my open apology to Nick. You were a fantastic football player today. You've been very solid on special teams, which we knew you would be. But you came in in a big division game and made a difference. And it's funny because you have to, I have to clarify, you're talking about Nick Kotowski and not Nick Williams, right? Because we've got two yeah. backup it's, it's, Nicks that played well. It's quit, not Williams. No, uh, Kwiatkowski, we got on really hard in several of our preview shows on Bears Over Beers, and and I think rightfully so, but, you know, bottom line is bottom line, and the NFL is a meritocracy. You have to go out and do the job when you're called upon, and he was called upon today to come out in the primary defense, and he looked absolutely every bit like he belonged he made plays he didn't just take up space it was wild I mean he really now granted the Vikings sort of put together an offensive plan that by the middle of the game they were basically kind of playing right into what Nick Kwiatkowski does really well but even so it's an NFL game no matter whether they serve you up a softball like some of those like that screenplay that I'm sure you remember where Kwiatkowski cut through two linemen like he often does and nailed Dalvin Cook or not you got to make the play and Kwiatkowski did and that was huge and speaking of another guy who made the play because we really might as well talk about him Chase Daniel didn't seem like he got a ton of help per se from the running game today uh part of that was on the offensive line part of that the slick field conditions seemed to really hurt the bears as there were a couple of different times where backs lost their balance off of what could have been big plays but even so chase daniel seemed to hang in there and make throws when they counted i know there were a couple of different plays that the bears left on the field in general a couple that stick out to me that perfect little ball that he threw to cohen that cohen dropped uh while he bobbled out of bounds uh a couple other plays like Chase Daniel now has the longest play from scrimmage on that throw to Javon Wim. 
Williams. He had a couple nice different darts to Allen Robinson as it seemed to be that his progression strategy, and I can't fault Daniel for this, was, okay, I'm going to look at Robinson, second read, third read, check down, back to Robinson. And if he if he got all the way through and nobody was quite open, he was just going to chuck it up to A-Rob, and that seemed like it worked out really well. I mean, that's as good a backup quarterback performance against the Vikings as I think I would have expected today. Obviously, I don't love the fact that Nagy and Daniel and the rest of the offense seem to kind of get figured out by the mid-third quarter, but by that point, they'd squeezed out just enough points, 16 points, for the defense to have enough cushion that the offense was going to effectively have to score four touchdowns on them, in that being two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. And as we saw, after the first touchdown, they couldn't score the second quote-unquote touchdown, and the game was effectively over. What were your thoughts on the offense? I thought Daniel did a great job coming in. Um, I picked up watching the game right about the beginning of the second quarter. I was listening to the first quarter on the radio because I was driving with my family. Uh, got to the place I was going to watch the game just before the second quarter started. So really, as Daniel was starting to heat up, he looked incredibly comfortable. He distributed the ball very, very quickly. He didn't look rushed by anything which is amazing because he was being rushed mm -hmm. he often got the ball out right before he got hit and i mean maybe half a step before it got swatted and he did that over and over again and he did it with accuracy he let guys make plays on that throw to cohen i was begging for him to throw that one about three steps sooner because cohen <laughs> was wide open and he threw a nice ball over the shoulder, but he didn't need to. That was a higher degree of difficulty. Cohen was open as soon as he broke past the line of scrimmage. And I was like, throw it, throw it, throw it. Uh, if he had, I think Cohen might have scored on that play. But he did a great job. He did leave a few on the field. But strangely, he'll be a lot less criticized than Trubisky for leaving those very same throws on the field. That's just the way it goes. But overall, what a great performance against a division foe coming in on you know a week when you didn't prep to be the starter. And yeah, if I have any worry about Daniel, it's the same one you do. It's that the offense kind of slowed by the end of the game and that he wasn't able to challenge deep. Um, but other than that, what a what a great performance. One thing that I will mention, because you and I kind of talked about this before the game or before we started the podcast before the game. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> so before we'd the have podcast, money in our, we'd have money in our pockets if we talked about that before the game. Yeah, I'd love that. But yeah. uh, so. I, I, we talked earlier about how we don't want to make this podcast into some Trubisky Daniel comparison because that'll that will be done. Trust me, Bears fans. But oh, yeah. right now we just predominantly want to celebrate Daniel. I do want to make just make sure that we get that joke in that last week Trubisky got criticized by, frankly, I mean even me, uh, for missing a couple of different throws en route to an eighty point six percent completion percentage. And today, when Daniel missed those throws to Miller and Cohen, I believe it was Cohen on the short out. Uh, basically, he missed two short outs that seemed like they would have been first down throws. Everybody's going to kind of throw their hands over and say, yeah, he missed him. Yeah, he's got to have him, but it's Chase Daniel. Whereas if it's Mitch Trubisky, he'd better have that 100% completion percentage or hey, it was a bad day at quarterbacking. But anyways, again, not to compare the two because I loved the way that Chase Daniel was reading the field. I love the way that we effectively got to see some of those naggy play calls kind of fleshed out. Like you said, he looked comfortable. I loved watching a Bears quarterback in uniform because Trubisky struggles to do this, reset his feet on different targets. You'd see him look left and those feet would set and then he'd look right and you'd see those feet set more towards the middle and then you'd see him reset again. And I don't think that there's a better play, frankly, that could typify what Chase Daniel's start looked like than his touchdown throw where he found Cohen on his second or third, I can't really remember, read over the middle, placed a decent ball, and let his playmaker go make a play. 
if Chase Daniels going to be our quarterback for a while, because truth be told, I am not a medical scientist and I don't know how long Trubisky's going to be out for just right after the game. Uh, Chase Daniels is going to have to do a lot more of that. Distribute the ball to a playmaker and let that playmaker go make a play. Yeah, and he does it very quickly uh, from the time from his decision to the time he, you know, zips a little dart out there. He doesn't have the biggest motion. Uh, he's really compact. Uh, he's not a huge guy overall, so he doesn't have a really long lever. Uh, from the time he decides, hey, this guy's getting the ball to the time he just kind of zips it into the numbers is really, really short. And it allows the guy catching the ball because most of his placements, besides the throws he flat out missed today, were very, very accurate. They allowed the player to keep running, keep his momentum, um, you know, corral the catch very safely or securely. And that makes a big difference in this offense. This built, this offense is built on yards after the catch. And in order to have that, you have to have those throws. Absolutely. And frankly, if there was anything that I learned today, uh, like especially, obviously you, you think as a football fan that you already know what I'm about to say, but I learned that Offensive line can truly make all the difference between a terrible perception of a quarterback and a pretty good perception of a quarterback because of all the Bears or of any of the players that Bears fans seem to want to send into the moon uh, during the preseason. Chase Daniel got a lot of flack for his poor play throughout the preseason, and that's not to excuse the guy, but... After he had beaten, I know I personally had generally said after he'd beaten the Lions last year and contested the Giants also, those are real NFL games. They matter more than some preseason games. And a performance like this kind of reminds you when you put a guy with the starters, he's going to look very different than when he's running with the twos in the preseason. In general, I was I was pretty impressed with what Daniel did. He seemed like he operated the position of quarterback relatively successfully. And if the Bears are going to lose Trubisky, God forbid we lose him for the year because I think that the Bears would need to start really looking at their options. Daniel seemed like he played exactly like you'd want a quote-unquote good backup to, but he's probably not the starter solution in any situation. Fair to say? Yeah, I think that's true. I think his history with Nagy, his familiarity with the offense, he's a veteran. He's been around a long time. Um, he goes against this Bears defense every day, which he quoted in the postgame presser and said, hey, going against a very good defense in Minnesota – you know, I wasn't I wasn't all that shook. I go against the best defense in the NFL every day in practice. So, you know, I'm fine with that. And it showed he was very calm, very poised, knew where he was going with the ball, didn't look surprised by anything. And and that's a big deal. Now, can he push for the big plays later on in the game after he gets it figured, after some more people get some tape on him? Not typically, not historically. So I'm with you that he's probably not the long-term solution. But in the short term, he can absolutely set this team up. He's good enough to set a team with a defense that is this good up to win some games. And that's what you need out of your backup. And speaking of that outstanding defense, let's make sure that we take plenty of time to talk about them because it is amazing how under-discussed a defense that's been this good has been given all the press that I know the offense has received over these last few weeks. So the defense started the game out and they were, I mean, obviously they were very, very good, but then they gave up some costly penalties there in that second drive that seemed to be where Minnesota had their best shot of getting back into the game before Stephon Diggs caught that underneath pass and had the ball swatted out by Kyle Fuller, which was probably one of the more important plays of the game when you just take a look at how each team was feeling. Then, of course, we've got uh, the $22 million man. Is it $22 million, or did that cap bonus uh, build it up higher? I can't really remember right now. But considering that Khalil Mack made the first play of the second half 
such an important one for the Chicago Bears. This defense, much like last year, set the tone early, and they kept it. They kept their foot on the Vikings' throat. That was something else. I mean, Kirk Cousins has to just hate playing the Bears at this point, don't you think? It can't be a good day for just about anybody right now. Um, They put so much pressure on with creative schemes, but their front seven today came out with with two ideals of mine. The first one is to absolutely smother Cook because Dalvin Cook was the centerpiece of the Vikes coming in. Everybody knew it. If they'd established him and he'd broken some couple of even productive runs in the first two or three quarters, Zimmer would have kept his foot squ- squarely on the gas there. Those guys, especially Williams, uh, Kwiatkowski, and Danny Trevathan looked extremely focused on Cook through the early part of the game. And they absolutely hammered him. He did not have any kind of breathing space, and it was a complete team effort from that front seven. The fact that the Vikings didn't adjust is is just one of those things that's very Vikings. They've got two incredible playmakers at the wide receiver position, and I think they had five targets in the first half. Between Diggs and Thielen, they had five total targets in the first half. Um, or maybe it was three with like one reception, the one you talked about. It was incredibly low. They just went purely to the run, and the Bears said, great, you want to go strength on strength? We will stop the run, and they did. And that's where – that was the stir that – the straw that really stirred the drink to to start the whole first half for the Bears. One thing that I think is pretty wild. So I'll talk two points, and then I want to hear what you think about them. So first of all, I don't think that there was a game that could have cemented a an opinion that I had more than this one of Chuck Pagano. I've thought Chuck Pagano's been calling great things or calling great games from that defensive coordinator position. But as I'm sure you've seen, just like I have, he's primarily gone after quarterbacks. He's wanted to Harry Flacco. He's wanted to Harry Keenum. He's wanted to Harry Rodgers. I mean, let's be honest. That's a very obvious game plan when you've got pass rushers like the Bears, but you enter this game where after the Bears had given up some serious yardage to Philip Lindsay and they'd given up a couple of crack off runs uh, against Washington, you could tell that there was something different in the Bears scheme as a lot of those blitzes that Pagano would call, they were anti-run blitzes first and foremost, and they were going to make sure that exactly like you mentioned, they knew Cook was coming and he was going to get nowhere and he didn't. Uh, I'm looking at the stats right now. Dalvin Cook finished the game with 14 attempts and 35 yards. That is crazy, especially when you consider that his longest run of the game was that not or was a nine yard run. So you take that out. You're looking at 26 yards, if I've done the math correctly, on 13 carries. That's wild. Not to mention, like you're exactly like you're saying, uh, Zimmer didn't really adjust but instead, the Bears forced the Vikings into exactly where I honestly don't think they wanted to go. While Zimmer, of course, uh, didn't, I mean, while you mention, and I agree that Zimmer didn't adjust, there's this stat out there that I remember that if Kirk Cousins throws the ball 32, t- or 32 times in a game or more, his record is significantly worse than if he throws it 31 times or less. Surprise, surprise. Cousins threw it 36 times today. They lost, and the, and the offense did not look good doing it. Uh, it looked as if Pagano hit the Vikings so hard uh, in the in w- when it comes to their offense that he forced them to play the game that he ultimately wanted them to play, and he punished them for it. This was a really well-called game from Chuck Pagano, in my opinion. Yeah, it's completely true. They needed to shut down Cook because the Vikings were coming with Cook, the old saying, running as they get off the bus. 
And if they did that, if they really smothered that, and they did that, as you mentioned, it as a front seven team effort. And Fuller had a couple of nice tackles supporting the run as well. Everybody was coming for Cook to make sure that he did not get loose. Um, they knew he was going to break a tackle or two, but he was going to have somebody right in his face when he did. And as soon as they did that, Pagano, you could have put a sideline shot of him just sort of smiling and crossing his arms because now you have to have Cousins throw it. And they don't want Cousins to throw it. They know they're not stupid. They don't want the ball in Cousins' hands for 35 or 40 passes a game. He doesn't have it. And against the Bears' pass rush, nobody has it. It's not Cousins or anybody else. But Cousins against the Bears' pass rush is like positive against negative. That's just not going to work out in Minnesota's favor. They didn't have any choices because they weren't getting anything on the ground through three quarters, so they had to do it. But even when they did, you saw it just come apart very, very quickly. Cousins hit a very few impactful throws today, and he got hit and harried and, you know, force fumbled a lot. And that was exactly what Pagano called. That's exactly what he wanted. It's exactly what the defense was able to execute, and that is masterful on both counts. Not to mention, this is where this is another kind of game where I've got to tip my hat to Ryan Pace, who's assembled a defense that there's one play in particular. It was that first play of the second half that I remember really clearly, because if I'm Kirk Cousins now, I'm no NFL quarterback. But if I'm Kirk Cousins, I looked at the way that we the we the Vikings at that moment had blocked really well from the right tackle position. Floyd was blocked. All the guys up front were blocked. And the only guy you can't see, of course, is Khalil Mack behind you. But everything looks really great so far and he sat there and he bought some time and he's waiting for that play to develop downfield before boom ball is out of his hands Khalil Max come around from the edge you gave him just that extra second too long because he waited about four seconds and the great white shark in the water that is Khalil Mack rose up and took his lunch money oh man that had to be a backbreaker for their offense given that I I would assume that they had some sort of deep shot you know pulled up and that they were hoping that the weapons that you talk about, because Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are really good receivers. Hey, if you gave them time that they'd work out and find something open, but you just can't do that against this bears team. And through four games, that's become more and more clear. You give them too much time. They'll come get you way more often than you'll get them. It's kind of wild to see. Yeah, if you throw that balance in the Bears' favor right now with the talent that they have in the front seven, and even the backup talent, which is the big nod to Pace, guys like Abdullah Anderson and Nick Williams playing as well as they are. Roy Robertson-Harris was a guy that you know came from the outskirts. They kept with him, kept developing him. He looks like a monster. He he looks like an absolute starter at the NFL level. Nick Williams is a name that most people don't know. Abdullah Anderson, probably the same thing, but they're playing at easily... Uh, you know, I would say a replacement level, and that's pretty high to be an NFL player. Khalil Mack is ridiculous. He has 10 forced fumbles in 18 games. That's just astounding. And what I posted on Twitter was, we're seeing the new version of the peanut punch. It just happens before the receiver ever touches the ball. And I mean, it's staggering. That kind of stat is Hall of Fame worthy. 10 forced fumbles in 18 games. And he's just going to keep getting more. He gets one every game, it feels like. He just gets that point where the quarterback reaches back. And instead of just slamming into him, he just tips the ball out of his hands and it's a free-for-all. And it happens all the time. It's not an accident. I mean, it's crazy, especially given that you'll very visibly see the difference when other teams sack our quarterbacks. I don't know if it stuck out to you, but there was one play in particular. <laughs> you, you think of the one I'm thinking of? Chase I Daniel. I might be. Chase, Chase Daniel, Daniel when he got sacked, his... he just, yeah. 
He just he, took he, it right in the chest and kind of folded over and was like, fell back in his recliner and was like, okay, plays over. That yep. was it. That was all the liability he took on that sack. It was amazing to me. I was like, that was the easiest sack I've ever seen. And for anybody who needs a little bit more verbal description, I can't remember where it was. Uh, my brain thinks it's in the second or third quarter, somewhere in there. But Chase Daniel took a sack. I think it was from a linebacker where the linebacker hit him square in the chest and lower hip. And Daniel was starting to throw. And instead, he just took the ball, he put it behind the linebacker's head, grabbed it with his left hand, and went down. And I couldn't help but think when that happened, if you've got the whole front of the quarterback to hit, Mac's not going to go for the quarterback. Uh, Daniel, to his credit, swam the ball out of the way of the linebacker a little bit. But either way, Mac's not going to give you that chance. He's going for that throwing shoulder to rip that ball out, just like we saw him do with um, with Case Keenum, just like we saw him do today with Kirk Cousins. Khalil Mack has figured out, and I love this, that sacking the quarterback isn't about sacking the quarterback. It's about getting that football. And it's starting to permeate throughout the entire team because I'm sure you noticed, I sure did, Nick Kwiatkowski's right hand slammed down on that right-hand wrist of Kirk Cousins before he came down. I couldn't help but think he knows what he's doing. He's going to try to shake that ball out. And he did. And it's too bad Leonard Floyd didn't fall on it. I'm sure Floyd was thinking touchdown the whole way. And, you know, with the way the game worked out, we can forgive him for it. But they, the Bears made some huge plays on defense today. And as if I'm a Vikings fan, what's crazy about it is, and I said this to my wife as we were driving home to record this podcast, as a Bears fan, I walk out thinking, wow, that was really good. Okay, we're three and one. This defense is legit. Still some major questions on offense. This is not the offensive season that I thought we were going to get this year. And if we're going to go to the Super Bowl, we're going to need to figure out ways to score just a few more points. Like get over to get over 20 with some consistency. But if I'm a Vikings fan, that one hurts. That is everything you didn't want to see out of this game. Like that is that looked like week 17. And I thought week 17 was one of the, one of the harder games to watch in the eyes of another fan. Anything like that stick out to you? Yeah, I feel the same way. We recorded the bears over beers podcast doing the preview with um, Ted Glover, um, purple Buckeye on Twitter. And he was great. Ted was tremendous as a guest, very knowledgeable fan. Great guy to talk to you. I really, really enjoyed that podcast. So if you haven't checked that out, go back and listen to it. But he had, I thought several times throughout today's game, he had to just be chewing his tongue off completely because there was no way at no point did it feel like the Vikings were going to win that game. It felt like they were treading water at best and they were just trying to avoid drowning. And as soon as they put the ball in Cousins' hands and said, okay, throw it up, I know he had to just be covering his eyes because the defense was eating him alive. And it just felt like if we meet these guys again, which we will later in the season, if we meet them in the playoffs, if that was to happen, what chance would we have? How would we do this differently? Because they're going to come with Hicks, with Roy Robertson-Harris. Bilal Nichols' hand is going to be healed up. Roquan Smith is going to be on the field. Like, what chance do you have going into that, knowing that, look, Cook's not going anywhere. He's probably even going to get less traction than he had, which is astounding, considering there were so many backups on the field. Like, as a Vikings fan, you're looking at this team, much like the Bills look at the Patriots over the past few years, and go, what can we do? Although the Bills gave the Patriots all they could handle today, so it's not yeah. the greatest example. <laughs> but for years, you just look at it and go, what can we do? We just don't 
have it. And Minnesota fans probably come away from the game today thinking a very similar thought. There's no way we beat that team. They had a backup quarterback. They had their backup defensive line. They had a backup middle linebacker. And we still just looked suffocated. What really hurt about it, if I'm a Vikings fan, is so I you got to you got to know all Bears fans. I'm probably one of the most paranoid football fans in America. And it primarily comes, if I'm honest, from being a Baylor fan, because Baylor finds unique ways to disappoint me almost every single year. So what I've started doing uh, is as the game will go on, I try to keep track of when the other team has effectively, quote unquote, finished the game. So when the Vikings were driving... (laughs) With about six minutes and three timeouts, I couldn't help but think this game's not over. If they get a touchdown and score a two-point conversion, they can kick. Our offense isn't moving the ball. We punt, and they score again. It's a tie ball game. What happens at that point? And so then they scored that touchdown, and at that moment, I was probably at my most nervous. And then I saw Khalil Mack buckle up his chin strap, and it dawned on me. The Bears were playing extra backups that whole drive, and the starters came back in just demolished the two-point conversion and that sense of oh this is over this has been over really set in for for me and it was kind of crazy because i gotta tell you playoff teams do that to other teams like i'm not trying to be too wild or get too crazy with my words but if i'm gonna use emotion playoff teams put teams away and this defense put this Viking team away. And what's got to make me crazy if I'm a Vikings fan is that that means that they've got to get their playoff spot buttoned up by week 16 because they play us week 17 again. And the last thing that I'd want is to lose to this team twice and miss the playoffs twice in the same horrible fashion in a maybe maybe at this point the Bears need that win for something or other, but maybe they don't. And maybe they win anyways because they've done it before. It's that... That is a backbreaker from a purple perspective like that. That game has to really hurt. They we had our backup quarterback backups littered all over the defensive line. We had no true second receiver. Uh, Our backs, Tariq Cohen, for instance, one that I know I point out uh, besides one that I've heard. I haven't seen I didn't see it personally. The David Montgomery slipped coming through a huge hole. But one that stuck out to me, Tariq Cohen at one point uh, had uh, he had Cody Whitehair running in front of him and he slipped trying to get around him, which yeah, stumbled I'm not gonna, off the right side. Yep. And I'm not trying to throw blame at Cohen, but certainly I'm not expecting Cody Whitehair to run at Tariq speed. And if he gets around uh, Whitehair, he's probably got a first down at that point. There were a couple plays that this Bears offense left on the field. They if they make every play, I don't know if they score more points, but they probably put up a general better offensive day. This was a very winnable game for the Vikings, and they just got the door closed on them. Like, a door slammed on their fingers kind of game on the offensive perspective. That one, that one hurts. Yeah, and the difference between how both probably Vikings and Bears fans felt prior to the game, looking at the injury report, looking at the fact that, you know, Akeem Hicks was going to be out. Bilal Nichols was going to be out. Roquan Smith's going to be out. What a, you know, if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm like, what a gift. That's amazing. He's a really great player. You know, they're going to be playing somebody else. There's, you know, we have every chance to go in and steal this game. And instead, flip forward, you know, two and a half hours, and all of a sudden Vikings fans are like, oh, you're kidding? Dalvin Cook had 20, 30 yards against backups? Are you serious? So in that way, in the sort of difference between pre and post, 
it's it's just huge to look at that game and feel like it was winnable and then go out and get pretty solidly shut down. I mean, that's in this day and age, the way the offense, the way the rules are focused on offense scoring points to go out and have your primary running back who's just tearing through the league like wildfire, put up 30 yards to have your two all world receivers limited to almost no catches you just got to feel like you just got, you know, the boot on the neck. There's just nowhere to go from that. No kidding. So let's move into, we've been at this for a little while and this has been a great show so far, EJ. Thanks for coming on. Uh, So let's go through a couple of general topics. So you may have already talked about this and maybe you haven't, but let's assign some superlatives. So what was your biggest positive surprise of the day? I got to go with Nick Kwiatkowski. He played inspired football. Trevathan started the game really smacking Dalvin Cook around, and Quit just came on and finished. And that pass rush he had was just pure linebacker pass rushing porn, if you want that. He put Cook on skates and literally got him moving backwards so fast that he was like, I'm not going to go around him. I'm just going to slam him into Cousins as fast as I'm moving and see what happens. That was awesome. So to come from a backup position, uh, replacing a guy who legitimately could earn all pro and play like that against a division rival at home in a, in a very important game. I'm not going to say a must win game, but a very important game. Nick really surprised me today and the rest of the defense played at his level. So it wasn't like he was the only one in the losing effort. Everybody sort of elevated their game that way, but he really was a sort of figurehead for that today. And I think I figured out finally the best way to put it. Maybe you'll like this. I don't think that this was a must win game, but should things go south in any fashion for the Bears, this was going to be one of the games we would look back in like weeks or in late December and say, boy, I wish we'd have had that one if we didn't get it. Uh, I think that's so- a great way to, to label it is a look back game, right? One of the ones you look back on and go, oh, man, I wish we'd won that game. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Because must win feels a little odd in, in week three or four. Right. That just feels <laughs> that feels goofy. But look back is absolutely a great way to put it. That's a great tag. Mm-hmm. Not to mention Kwiatkowski, just to build on your point. It's funny. We've seen him do this pass rush before, and it was in that magical game he had against the Colts where it just felt like he did everything right. Uh, so it's cool to see that in that sense, on the scale of him playing against the Colts, because I feel like every NFL t- player has a slider. What are they on their worst day? What are they on their best day? We got the best of Kwiatkowski today. That was really awesome. Uh, yeah, my gener- ceiling and floor, right? It's just mm-hmm. like the draft. Ceiling and floor. And today was, I, I got to hope. Well, I think it's probably a ceiling. If he can go above that, it would really surprise even me. That would be really shocking. Uh, My personal positive surprise is the defensive run performance in general, because I expected to come come out of today, and my best hope was that Dalvin Cook would get what I told people before the game, about 90 yards, and 65 of them would come off of one long play, uh, that he would just crack off, and that would be the one. Well, he didn't even get that. Like the the defense swarmed him. They shut him down. This was a it I hesitate to use crazy big hyperbolic words like miraculous, but this was as good as I could have asked for out of this defense. I mean, obviously some people are like, I wish they'd have shut him out, but for crying out loud, they dominated them for so long in this game. And it felt it felt like a soulless, lifeless Vikings offense by around the 40th minute. And to me, when you've got professional players 
already losing heart in their own team in week four. That is about as crippling as it gets. Now let's move into, we've been very positive all game. What was your biggest disappointment in general, if there was one? Um, it's hard to be disappointed to win against a divisional opponent, but there are always things to improve on. It is that uh, two things, I guess. Uh, and if you've been listening to Bears Over Beers, you know this is one of my axes to grind all season long. When Nagy gets cute with that much talent on the field, I just want to throw up in my hand. And he started at about the middle of the third quarter. And certainly in those last two fourth quarter drives, he, he didn't get cute at all. He, he sort of oversimplified, but there's a combination of not too much and not too little where the slider just goes in the wrong direction. And by about the middle of the third quarter, the bears offense didn't look like it was going to do anything anymore anyways. And he was just sort of relying on the defense and that's great. They're a great defense, but let's have a little punch. Let's have a little play action where we might try and get a first down something like that. So that was one. Um, if I had another one, don't you steal mine? Oh, I don't know. That was probably the biggest one. I hate it when he does that. It just drives me bananas. Um, other than that, oh, penalties. Oh, got to be penalties, right? Second quarter, like, and this is again early in the game. There's five in a row. There's like five plays in a row that the Bears rack up a penalty. And I was just like, come on. So those are the two. If I'm disappointed, it's that the offense stagnated a little bit, sort of lost its creativity or got hyper cute, started to go back to to Patterson. Uh, yeah, I, not not awesome. So those two things in combination. But again, tough to tough to complain about the win. EJ, you took mine. I told Good. you not to, and you Good. did it anyways. It was well, those you didn't penalties. tell me what it was, so I get some kind of points for that, right? Of, of course. It's the okay. penalties. I So the Bears have been, whether or not you're one of the people, because I know we've got some commenters on WCG that track this kind of thing, that uh, looks at whether the Bears are favored or not in terms of indiscretionary penalties. That penalty that Jackson took that extended the drive on third and 16-ish, uh, it was ticky-tack. I'm not suggesting it was a very good there call. There were many that were. They just came right in a row. Absolutely. And boy, that stretch felt, oh, I was sitting in the bar thinking, mm -hmm. oh, God, what are you doing? God? Like, first I said, what are you doing to the players? And then I was looking at the refs. I think I posted something on Twitter that said, what did these guys work a high school game on Friday night? And they're just, <laughs> they're overwhelmed by the size and speed of NFL players. Like, there were multiple penalties. And they all went against the Bears right in a row. And it just felt oppressive at that point. It it was awful, absolutely, and I don't excuse the Bears. Certainly, there's a day to go after officiating, but in my opinion, the number one, I guess, take that I come away from when it comes to defensive penalties is that if you're going to get an after-the-whistle penalty after you've already done the job and stopped the offense, like, that's, in my opinion, that's unacceptable. That's the word that comes to me. Was it a, was it a strong call? No. Do I agree with the call? No, I don't but you still don't need to put yourself in that position. I still remember that there was a play that uh, it sticks out to me back from my youth because my big sport growing up was lacrosse, believe it or not. But a play that will always stick with me was where a 6'4 defender, and I'm only about 5'6", to any Bears fans wondering, uh, had shoved me in the chest after the whistle. And, uh, of course, having watched tons of hockey in my lifetime, I knew that you could jostle back and forth, or at least that's what I thought, as I uh, give him a light shove in the chest. And I'm like, come on, man, what are you doing? He does what I never would have expected, and he just falls over backwards. And guess who went to the penalty box? Me. 
because after the whistle, if you do anything, you give the opponent the opportunity to either sell something or for the referee to call something. And really the only way to not get a penalty is to just sort of not do anything. And but here's look, the point. Jackson started that, right? Yeah, <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did exactly what the six, four guy did. And I thought, because usually you're right. It's the first guy in the NFL that gets away with it. The lineman got up, got all chippy and headbutted him. And I thought, oh, they're going to nail the lineman. You can't do that. Like, because Jackson just flinched him enough, right? Pushed him a hair just to get that response and then took the headbutt. And I thought, okay. But the ref, you know, wisely or not wisely, whatever, called the chip on Jackson. And I get it, but I was like, oh, he's going to get away with it. That was masterful. Now he's just going to sit there and take the head, but didn't work out that way, which is a bummer. And it started a bad string for the Bears. Nope. Not to mention, a, uh, it we the Bears picked up, I believe, their eighth hands-to-the-face penalty uh, on defense this time. This whole yeah. thing is weird. Uh, yeah, that one was rough. I There's sort of like hands-to-the-face and like incidental hands-to-the-face. That one, to me, felt much more like two guys are blocking jostling and – Maybe a little bit. This was not the great, like, grab their chin and shove it up under the nameplate, right? Um, so, yeah, a bunch of those felt kind of gross, but of course, neither here nor there. I've actually, I mean, look, I don't want to sound like some Bears homer because there's nothing that I personally hate more. I'm just being honest, guys, uh, than people who complain about officiating in a win or a loss because officiating breaks your way and then it doesn't break your way. I, I personally think that the Bears got some of the most favorable officiating that they could have on that Gabriel touchdown because there's pretty much one frame. Like, that was one of those that constantly, as if I've ever watched football, which thankfully i have that's the sort of thing that ends up on twitter as this frame shows it's a catch but they allow the rule <laughs> to stand on the incompletion yeah. to gabriel against washington last week but they ruled sure. it a touchdown uh officiating will break your way and then it won't and uh i was just excited that in all of the different opportunities that maggie challenged he won them all that's not common occasionally i feel like you're gonna get screwed a couple of different times uh by officiating in football games but the bears i mean obviously they played well enough to overcome it that works out well. Would love to see their penalty problems uh, decrease. Now, before we go to the next section, I think you've opened a, a can for debate that I want to talk to you about because sure. you talk about Nagy getting too cute. And I know I've always got a ton of thoughts on that because I see a lot of offenses like the Nagy read offense. And when the gimmick works and you get 45 yards, it can set you in a really great rhythm and it looks like a smart play call. But I totally agree with you. When you put Cordero Patterson in the backfield and you run him to the direction that he's quote unquote not supposed to go, which is the direction towards your quarterback, because theoretically, when you line up that play, you're assuming the defense thinks that no no sane team is going to run towards the quarterback. And then it doesn't work. Your play call looks totally, totally like backwards and just bad. Don't do that. And I agree with that. What always interests me is this balance that Matt Nagy has. And I hope he'll figure it out over the years between being really, really, really cute and herder basic. And you, you get almost <laughs> nothing in the middle. It's yeah. you, you either get, we're going to run an inside run with almost no pathway to success in terms of the blocking uh, of it. And who knows, maybe, maybe the guys will just win all their one-on-one matchups. But if they don't, this is getting two yards. Guess what? 
it gets two yards. And then they do something that seems really cheeky, uh, going all the way back even to the New England-style third and one run with Patterson that we ran in Green Bay. And people are like, are you kidding me? You're going to have Patterson take that ball? And look, I think personally, if I've landed anywhere, I think that the cheeky stuff is going to come and go. Some of it's going to work. Some of it's not. Uh, certainly I can't, I still to this day can't believe that the bears pulled off that, uh, like triple lateral play that Cohen threw the touchdown on to Anthony Miller. If that doesn't work, you're talking about one of the dumbest play calls. <laughs> like if Trey Burton laterals that back to Tariq Cohen and he drops the ball and the Vikings jump on it and the bears don't go to overtime, that's a terrible play call. Instead, it's celebrated as a phenomenal play call because these things really are, they work or they don't. I would love to see Matt Nagy throw in a little bit more medium level trickery where there's different little disguises. I mean, even things as simple as, uh, you know, play action to, let's say, like line up Cohen and Montgomery in the backfield, play action to Montgomery, flick it out to Cohen, like simple things like that. I'd love to see a little more of that. But overall, I find that I'm taking the bad with the good. And I'd love to hear you expound a little more on the cheekiness and the cuteness and the difference therein. Yeah, it feels like he's just missing that balance. So I'm with you that it feels either right down the pipe or so far out there that it just doesn't work. And it's a bit like if you had a special teams coach that ran a fake punt like three out of every five times, right? You'd be like every once in a while, just punt the ball, right? And it's that balance of when do you bring that in? And if we want to go back to previous special teams coaches, Dave Tube was excellent at waiting for that moment, pulling that play out and saying, all right, you know, haven't run this in eight years. I'm going to run it right now and and pushing the button at the right time. And if you want to see what it looks like when it's done right, look at Kansas City. Andy Reid is the master at taking a crowbar to the wooden box that is a defense and going, oh, there's a seam here. Oh, you're running match? I'm, I'm going to put the crowbar right there and I'm going to pull. And oh, look what happens. It comes apart and there's a little gap and I'm going to throw a play right there. Oh, you're going to react by going man? Oh, I got a man beater for you. Okay, here we go. We're going to run a pick play right here. Oh, look, I got your guy. Oh, we got you again. Uh, I'm prying that box apart a little bit more. And it's just when he calls that and the level he calls that to is he's the master, right? Belichick is the master of being a chameleon and switching schemes for who they're playing and what the situation is. Reed is the master at saying, oh, you're reacting that way. I've got something for that and reacting and, and just pushing something into that gap where you're not. And Nagy comes from that scheme and he just hasn't quite figured out the balance of when and how much. So he runs a lot of that stuff, but the production is extremely low from that sort of what I'm calling cute stuff. And then he goes back to, I got to run it right down the middle. And you're like, that's not it either. So it's somewhere in the middle and he's sort of, it's the snake in the tube thing. He hasn't quite figured out balancing it out. I sure hope he does, because I think you're going to agree with me when I say that if Nagy ends up becoming the second coming or even just Andy Reid light, that is a huge win for the Chicago Bears, and they'll take that any day of the week. And the nice thing is we can look back at some of Nagy's drives and say he clearly knows how to string these things together. When he's rolling, he's rolling, but he's got to figure out how to get those drive starters going a little bit sooner. Or We're going to see way more 16-point games than we are going to see 35, 38-pointers. 
And I don't think that's good for anybody. But in the essence of time, let's move on to our last two superlatives. So what is your underrated play or player of the game? Ooh. Get deep with this underrated stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, My underrated light is Javon Wim's catch because it it just personified everything about Wim's that he's done since he's entered the league um, with the Bears as a seventh-round pick. Uh, He showed at camp that he was well-developed as a receiver. He sets that route up very well off the stem. He pushes inside for leverage. He comes back to the ball, makes a great physical catch down the field. Um, That's a huge play. Like you said, that's uh, the longest play from scrimmage, I think, with Daniel throwing it. And that's that's a great play. So that's kind of my my light underrated. But other than that, um, I'll go Trey Burton. Burton had a couple of catches in this game. Hasn't shown up really in the offense at all. Uh, had a couple of catches I thought he could have made as well, but came back, um, played that spot with some athleticism and had two, three catches, second, third quarter that that really sort of kept those drives moving. And the Bears have been lacking that. The Bears offense has been lacking that spot, an athlete at that position to execute. And, and overall, that's derailed them several times. And Burton was sort of underrated glue. There was a lot of players I thought played better than him throughout the day. But that was something that caught my eye, both he and Wims uh, making some contributions at the right time on offense. And that's a good sign for the Bears. Absolutely. The Wims was huge. Uh, I thought it was really great to see Trey Burton. Uh, if I'm going to get really, really underrated here, I don't think I've ever seen a punter fire up a team quite as much as when the Bears were backed up on their 10-yard line and their offense failed to move the ball at all. You're talking about a common short field situation, very, very common fields, uh, short field situation with the punter standing in the end zone, always uncomfortable for those guys. And the Vikings, with the whole fourth quarter to go, certainly looked like that could be their moment to jump on him. Snap goes back to Pat O'Donnell, and he lets off a 64-yard howitzer that the Bears tracked down, tons of hang time, tons of distance, and you could tell because everybody was slapping his helmet after the play. I thought Pat O'Donnell, I mean, especially after he kicked some huge balls in Denver, has really looked like a different punter than he has last year. I can't believe I'm talking about the punter right now. But I can't believe you just said kicked huge balls. But anyways, um, <laughs> no, the kicking game in general, um, Pinero as well. You're right about O'Donnell. He has performed at a level we haven't seen in a while. He was plateauing or even declining a bit this year whatever it is I don't know if the special teams coach got on him I don't know if he's changed his drop something he is blasting balls like he did when he was a rookie hitting the ceiling of the Walter Payton Center at practice and it was making headlines everybody was like this guy is the second coming we never really seen that this year he is just slamming kicks which is great but Pinero coming off a pinched nerve in his knee looked automatic and bottom line if they don't get those points they don't win the game and he looked like he was kicking in practice today he came out easy stroke right through the uprights yeah i got it guys no big deal that's a that's a big deal you're dead on i had completely forgotten i mean by the so i was at sort of like a watch party deal so i got to be honest my brain was only about 85 percent of uh engaged in the game which uh you could ask my wife she wished that she had about 40 more percent of my brain but hey the bears were on uh by the second his second field goal and certainly the third i'd forgotten that piñero's pinched nerve was an issue at all 
I mean, it had just completely fallen out of my brain because he was kicking so consistently from those positions that the Bears could count on him. And as much as I know we would all like to have touchdowns there, I know I would like to have touchdowns there. Stacking up those three field goals took us from seven to 16 points. That's a lot to ask uh, from the Vikings offense on a day like then. We needed every single one of them. Every single one of them would have been a potential opportunity for the Vikings to crawl back into the game. We kept them down. We kept our foot on the throat. Both kickers did really, really good stuff today. And finally, let's close out with who, if you had to pick one, was your player of the game? Ooh. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pick one on offense and one on defense. Uh, I talked fair. about I talked about Nick already, uh, Nick Kwiatkowski. Uh, the defense front seven in general, you could pick most any of those guys. Um, defense, obviously, Khalil Mack. He just, he, I think people don't bring him up because he's consistently dominating and he's consistently there. He he pulled on that third and 35 or whatever it was. He pulled a legit triple team, like three guys just flat off the snap went like, okay, you're not going to wreck it. He's, and he warrants that because on a straight double team, he ended up getting a pressure, um, you know, splitting two guys and almost getting the sack. So he's that kind of talent. I don't want to overlook that. Um, on offense, I've got to go with Daniel. He came in with calm in a bad situation. He threw darts. He moved the chains. He kept that rhythm that the Bears have been struggling to find on offense. He kept drives alive. He took what was there. Uh, he went down in his reads, uh, really operated the offense as it's designed. That's a lot to ask in a big game in some not tremendous field conditions. So I'll go Daniel on offense, Mac on defense. I think there's, it's hard to get, pick anybody else. I mean, I could pick some other quote-unquote Roberts players of the game here, but that would undersell just how good Khalil Mack was because you're exactly right. He gets kind of the LeBron James treatment, in, and I'm not trying to make people's basketball opinions flare up here, but it, <laughs> I kind of get the impression that LeBron James ought to be considered for most valuable player more often, but people don't want to vote for the guy that's so obvious that why would they vote for him? Khalil Mack was huge today, made some massive plays, and while I could obviously pick Nick Williams, Nick Kwiatkowski, they weren't near as important to the overall flow of the game as either Khalil Mack. The other one would be Eddie Goldman, but I haven't watched the film enough to really know. I just assume he was in there clogging holes up all day long. Khalil Mack's the guy I got to go with. And then on offense, I'm split between two, Daniels and Robinson, because Robinson was Robinson was one of the guys. Hey, Daniel, right? Daniel, yes, it's killing me. <laughs> the broadcast um, team was, it's the broadcast team's fault. They were doing plural all day to the point where people were throwing it on Twitter. Can somebody send him a note? It's Daniel, not Daniels. That thing Anyways. screws me up so often. James Daniels, yeah. Chase Daniel, oh, both yeah. both going to be huge topics of conversation here, considering that the offensive line, I thought they actually got things together. We haven't really talked to them. They put in their probably best game of the season so far this year, which great time to do it. Uh, Allen Robinson was certainly out there helping Chase Daniel all throughout that first half. I mean, he was shaking free, making plays. But ultimately, like you said, when it comes down to it, you've got a division game. A lot of players probably felt like they had their backs a little bit against the wall. I know it's early in the season, but this was a game that they obviously want to take home. Second game at home, uh, second division game. You don't want to lose it. And Trubisky goes down. 
almost immediately with a whole bunch of their other studs out. I can only imagine that that was a moment that was ripe for mental, just a deflation across the rest of the team. And Daniel stepped in. He scored immediately, set the tone. Uh, and you've got the Bears now up seven to nothing. They moved the ball great in the first half. And honestly, uh, given that they only drove really well once in that in that second half, I think he did enough. I think he did more than enough in plenty of cases, just given what he had to step into. It's hard not to give him a player of the game award when this game would not have been the same had he played poorly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's nice that you give A-Rob a shout-out, too, because I... I think in some ways he's the Mac of the offense. He's dominating his one-on-one matchups. He is winning all the time. He is open. He is catching what they throw him. You know, if he was a quarterback, he would be influencing the game in a huge way. He's a wide receiver. They don't throw him the ball all the time. But if you look at his individual matchups, Allen Robinson is back and he is alpha number one and he is dominating. Not to mention one thing that's been crazy, and this is more alluding now to week three, but hey, if you've been listening to the show for this long, you've made it almost an hour with us. Uh, it's it's wild to see that when you watch A-Rob on All-22, and I highly recommend any Bears fans with All-22 access to go do this, there are tons of these deep shots all across the offense that the offensive line hasn't held on long enough for the Bears to get to them. And one of the biggest ones must, I mean, it would have been, A-Rob, it would have put Allen Robinson 30 yards downfield with one safety to shake off and then he'd have a touchdown and the offensive line. I mean, Kyle Long just caved immediately, unfortunately, and Trubisky had no shot to get to him on a play action pass. But Allen Robinson, exactly like you're saying, he has been one of the motors for an offense that we expected it to be David Montgomery. We expected it to be Tariq Cohen. Neither of them have really broken out yet this season. The whole running back core has I won't call it a letdown uh, just yet. We've got to see things really pace themselves and the offensive line put it together. But we have not seen 100-yard games from either running backs, but Allen Robinson has been consistent. He's been constant. He's been the kind of guy that at first you think they're throwing to him too much, and then you realize that he hasn't dropped one yet. He hasn't failed to make a play yet. (laughs) And you wonder why they throw to anybody else. And that's about as big a compliment as I think a receiver can get. Yeah, he's crushing it, and I I hope he gets some renown. It's going to be tough if Trubisky's out for a bit. Daniel not known for his downfield prowess, but he did hit A-Rob a couple of times today. Um, I think it could continue, but it, it's certainly not having Trubisky's down, downfield arm, and maybe not downfield accuracy, but downfield arm, and he trusts Robinson. Both guys do, and rightfully so. Robinson's just having a great season. We might not see it materialize in any awards at the end of the year, but that shouldn't take away from what he's doing week in and week out. Absolutely. Well, that's about all I know I've got. Do you have any final thoughts you want to give before you sign off? Uh, I'm good. I'm extremely pleased the Bears pulled this out at home. Hope they would. Uh, They did, regardless of exactly how they did it or what it cost them to do it. Not as important now. Very excited that the backups on the defense played as strongly as they did against a major rushing threat. It's very easy to look at this game in hindsight and go, oh, yeah, it's just the Vikings, right? Dalvin Cook was shredding the rest of the NFL on the ground, came in loaded for bear, looking to do that. And the Bears went, yeah, no, not at our house with a bunch of backups. And that's that's tremendous. So extremely thrilled about that. 
Absolutely. I mean, especially given that I personally have the more and more that I've thought about as I've looked forward towards that Oakland game, uh, because the Bears, for anybody who doesn't know the schedule backwards and forwards, they are going to go to London and they're going to play Oakland and then they get their bye week. And if we are honest, Bears fans, I don't think that there's a better time. Originally, that bye week sounded like it was coming a little early right now. Oh, boy, uh, that is so helpful to get that now so that we can get some of these guys with more week to week style injuries like Gabriel Hicks, uh, hopefully Roquan and Davis, who to my understanding had more personal reasons to not play uh, back on the field. That Oakland team is not the pushover that we thought they might be. Now that doesn't mean that they're great by any stretch of the imagination, but they played pretty well against uh, the Broncos. They obviously beat the Colts just recently. And I know almost nothing about that because it just happened. So, the Bears going into London, had they gone in there two and two, you're looking at a team that needs to beat another team on roughly its level. Instead, the Bears have the shot at four and one, which is more or less exactly where we expected them to be, albeit with a bit of a different path to that success. Uh, and that's about as good as you can ask for out of the bye. This game was huge. If for no, I mean, I expected it to be uglier than it was, to be honest. This felt like a very clean beating throughout the first half. And, uh, <laughs> The second half got a touch dicier. Uh, if you break them down, the Bears won the first half 0-10. to In the second half, they tied 6-6. Six to six. Uh, But I'll take it any day of the week in terms of the way a football game is constructed, in terms of the raw amount of backups that they had to play in this game, in terms of what it probably is going to end up meaning for the division down the road, and especially just surviving through this bye. This, we- this win was big. I think it's it's easy to understate it. But it was a big one, and I'm really excited they got it. Yeah, I I think you set up the schedule beautifully. The buy's great uh, where it sits now. Um, Bears have determined their own destiny to a standpoint, and it'll be really interesting to see where they go with the quarterback from here on out. Trubisky's shoulder is able to be played through. I've seen some opinions that say maybe with a harness, maybe not. Um, it's going to be very, very painful as a guy who's suffered some shoulder injuries. Uh, I've subluxed my shoulder. It's no fun. It hurts tremendously. If it was his throwing shoulder, he'd be done. It's his non-throwing shoulder. He still might be done, uh, depending on the level of it. But he could try and go with it with a sling for a bit from what I've seen. We'll we'll see more of that um, throughout the week as the opinions come in and you get some scans and, and the damage gets assessed. But there's definitely damage in that shoulder. Look like it came out. That's going to be really rough. Eh, we'll see how it goes from here on out, but I still feel really positive about this team. The back is playing well. Should get some of that firepower back on defense um, and on offense and see where they're going to go. But they're so far determining their own destiny and in the first quarter. That's a very strong resume. Very, very strong resume. They're, you're, we're going to have plenty of teams by the back half of the season. They're going to be scrapping and clawing to determine their own destiny. And the Bears getting out in front of that pack is going to be huge. EJ, thanks so much for coming on uh, for this postgame podcast. Let, uh, let all the fans know where they can find you. Absolutely. You can always find me on Windy City Gridiron. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at the Draftsman FB or co-hosting Bears Over Beers, which has its own Twitter handle at Bears Over Beers. How original. <laughs> awesome. Hey, I'm just glad, to be honest, that we've gotten you more than once in a blue moon, because since you've started Bears Over Beers, we get to hear what you're saying more. You're always insightful. You do a phenomenal job. EJ, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Love doing it. 
And there you have it, Bears fans. I can't thank EJ enough for coming on. This made recording this podcast a breeze and a whole lot of fun. And that pretty much concludes our thoughts on this game. While I'm sure I'll have some kind of video breakdown later in the week coming out, after one watch through, that's the conclusions that we came away with, and I think they're pretty good ones. If you like what I've got to say, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz, R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, where I'll post more thoughts, general analytical stuff, and of course, that'll be one of the places that I post the link to my YouTube breakdowns. But of course, you can find any of my work on WindyCityGridiron.com, where I generally go to post all of it. Thanks so much for listening, Bears fans, and until next time, Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.